Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Howdy. Good morning. Welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next 30 minutes, you have a cordial invitation to stay with me. It will be simply 30 minutes of motivation, inspiration, some education, all done without any manipulation because we have no hidden agendas. We don't try to sell you anything. We're not trying to coerce you into doing anything. This show is simply about giving accurate information that will hopefully help you verify and identify God's plan for your life. If you can do that, then you have the freedom and the privacy to orient and adjust to the plan any time you wish to do so. But that's what this show is about. Communication of accurate information. Nothing else. And my desire is to hopefully find those of you out there who have an insatiable hunger to grow. As the Bible says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't find that hunger very often. And when I do, it certainly is refreshing to see it. People that have a desire to want to know more about God's plan. People who have a desire to want to understand the principles, the promises, the provisions that are all provided for each one of us in God's Word. Most of the time, people sell out just for simple emotionalism. The casual Christian simply wants to go to church once a week and trot on off down the my way highway and do what he wants to do the rest of the time. But living the Christian life requires much more effort than that. Living the Christian life requires that we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And growing is a verb. It requires action. I mean, you have to eat something to grow, and what we eat, what we must metabolize, is the Word of God. If we don't eat the Word of God, if we don't metabolize the Word of God, and that's an illustration, I'm not talking about eating your Bible, you understand what I'm saying, being fed the Word of God by a qualified pastor who teaches it to us, then we don't grow. And that's how we grow. We don't grow taking our Bible and going out and sitting under an oak tree on a hillside somewhere and saying, okay, God, speak to me. I mean, if that was the case, there would have been no need for God in Ephesians 4, 17 through 19 uh, to give qualified pastors, to give pastors, men who had the gift of pastor-teacher. And that's what he did. He equipped those people with the gift of pastor-teacher so that they can teach you, so that they can feed you, so that they can communicate to you God's Word. And that's what we have. We have men who have that gift, men who are pastor-teachers, so that we can all come to be mature believers in Jesus Christ. So let's remember that as we study the Bible. I am not a pastor. And uh, that's not my job. I'm an evangelist. And my job is to open a window and kind of give you a breath of fresh air and hopefully let you see what you need to do to continue growing in grace. Now, I said that passage was Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. I was wrong. It's Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. And here, let me read it to you. This is very interesting. And he gave some apostles, this is verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 4, 
and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Pastors and teachers in the Greek New Testament is one word. We learn that because we apply the Hendites principle there. Anytime you have one definite article, which is the pastor and teacher, and it's one person. It's not the pastor and the teacher. It's one person, pastor, teacher. That's not me. But somewhere there is a pastor for you. There is a pastor that is your shepherd. And we, you and me together, we're sheep. And we flourish and function best under the authority of that pastor. So when we listen to him teach the word of God and we learn the Bible, we are being fed. When we apply it, we are metabolizing that doctrine and then we have the energy to live the spiritual life. I hope that's making sense so that I don't sound too weird. But the Bible says here the reason that God gave these gifts are for the perfecting of the saints and for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ until we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto mature men under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ and no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive. In other words, Satan has a plan. That plan is to deceive you with some crafty, cunning doctrine that pricks your interest so that you stray away from the shepherd You move out from under the authority of your shepherd and you go shepherd shopping. You go looking for someone else that will tickle your ears and give you what you want to hear. And the next thing you know, you're trapped. You're off down the my way highway and you're involved in things that are not necessary. And so we must grow till we all come to be mature believers after the statue of Jesus Christ after the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this is where one of the problems that we run into as believers, we we get distracted, and we talked about that on our last radio show, distractions and discouragement and how we disengage in, in our spiritual life, and eventually we're defeated. And I gave you four problems that all believers face, and I want to go back to that today. I want to go back to those four problems we face. And it'll take a few shows to cover all of this, but I want to jump in today with both feet if you'll listen to me. I promise not to bore you, okay? All right, here we go. The number one problem that most believers face, I guess all believers, is that we put this, we place our relationship with people over our relationship with God. We place our relationships with people over our relationships with God. You see, each one of us have to go through what the Bible calls momentum testing. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've accepted him as your savior. You have been mandated to grow spiritually and to become a mature believer. I just read it to you. You just heard it till we all grow up till we all become mature like the image of Christ. 
And I just showed you how Satan lies in wait to deceive you. And so you have to understand that the primary objective for any believer is to grow to spiritual maturity. I don't know how long it takes for you. I don't know how long it takes for me. I don't know if I'm mature. I don't know if you're mature. It's none of my business. My business is to just keep taking it in and just keep learning it and just keep applying it. You can't look at someone and say, well, that's a real mature believer. Listen to how he talks. And then he goes into this spiel about, oh, brother, it's so wonderful in the precious sight of God to see you today. I remember one time a fellow like this in my travels years ago, he was a wonderful person. I enjoyed him very, very much. And he was a shoe salesman and great guy. And then I missed him for about four or five years. And finally, I, I ran back into him and I said, uh, I'll just use Joe. That wasn't his name. But I said, Joe, how you doing? And he looked at me and, you know, I would have never believed what came out of his mouth. He said to me, well, brother, I'm doing quite well in the Lord. How art thou? <laughs> I about fell out. This guy had been to cemetery or seminary. Is that it? Seminary. He had learned how to speak preachery. He had learned how to talk holy. He had learned how to dress holy and walk holy and live holy. You know, <laughs> this is one of the greatest tests you're going to face. That's not the spiritually mature believer I'm talking about. Assuming this false persona that you're not, that's what I ran into as a young Christian, people trying to make me into something that I wasn't. They had good intentions. They meant well, but they didn't know what they were talking about. And, uh, and it wasn't until I eventually found my own pastor who taught me the word of God and who liberated me from the chains of legalism so that I did not, I did not have to try to live a life that I was not. I didn't have to try to be someone that I was not. You know, always on show, always on call, always upbeat, always happy, always trusting the Lord, always Jesus loves you. You've been around those people, haven't you? After a while, they get a little obnoxious. You know, I want everyone to know I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, yes. And I'm looking for every opportunity to share the gospel of the good news with every person that I meet. But sometimes I may meet people and they'll never know I'm in the ministry because I don't dress like that. I don't talk like that. I don't give that impression. It's not necessary for you or for me. You see, God is not concerned with our image and our style. He's concerned with what we think because that's what the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. And if God wants to examine you, he's not going to look at what you're wearing. He's not going to look at how you're talking. He's going to look at what you're thinking because he can read your mind. So if we're ever going to be spiritually mature believers, we must grow up. And before we can grow up, we must learn. And before we can learn, we got to find a pastor that can teach it to us. So let's assume you have a pastor 
who's actually teaching you the Bible more than an hour a week. Because unfortunately, most pastors, that's about what they do. 30 minutes on Sunday morning and maybe 30 minutes on Sunday night and maybe 30 minutes on Wednesday night and you got an hour and a half a week of biblical instruction. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to grow up on an hour and a half a week. I watch more TV than that in one night sometimes. So come on. I mean, at least an hour a day, like the church at Berea, daily, they search the scripture, the Bible says, every day. I'm not talking about 24 hours a day. And I'm not talking about a 15-minute devotional each morning. That's wonderful if you do that. I'm proud of you. You get up and you have a little devotion and, and you have your prayer and off you go to work. That's great. That's not learning. That's a motivational thing. To learn, you must study. You must sit down under the ministry of a pastor and listen to him teach it to you. And then you apply what you learn into your life. But before you can apply it, you're going to be tested. You know, everything I learned in school, I was tested on. You remember that? You remember the little blue book they gave you in college? The blue book test, and you had to fill it out and turn it back in, put your name on it? You know, every time I learned something, I was tested. Well, God will test us also. Each one of us, if we're going to grow up spiritually, we must go through what we will label momentum testing. Momentum testing. Now, let's see if you've gone through it, or let's see if you're in it. What is momentum? Well, our Lord said in Luke eleven twenty seven and 28, Happiness belongs to those people who hear my Father's word and keep it. So hearing and keeping the word of God on a consistent basis equals momentum. Momentum is you moving right along and accelerating as you go. As you learn, you accelerate. It's like let it put, putting a car on a hill and not putting the brake on, and then you let it begin to roll down the hill. It'll go slowly at first, but by the time it reaches the bottom of the hill, it may be speeding right along. In your case, it's going upwards, starting at zero, going up to 100. You accelerate. You gain momentum, and that momentum will be tested. We will all go through momentum testing if we expect to reach spiritual maturity. Why? Well, it affords us the opportunity to apply the spiritual skills that we learn. You see, we apply different sets of principles to different tests that we face. And, and there are all sorts of tests. System testing, if you work for a company and they make decisions that aren't necessarily fair, they make decisions that relate to you and affect your bottom line, that's a system test. Or it could be a health test. Or it could be momentum testing. Momentum testing. This test, whether you will continue to accelerate or whether you will peel off, be distracted, be discouraged, and disengage from your spiritual life. The first and the greatest test you'll face is your own mental attitude because everything that you do starts off with a thought. 
You know that? You got up this morning, you said, I think I'll take a shower. I think I'll shave. I think I'll brush my teeth. I think I'll put on these clothes. I think I'll go eat. Everything you did started with a thought, and that thought triggered an impulse. And the impulse activates a desire. And when the desire becomes an action, we make a decision based on our own volition. I will shave, I won't shave. I will shower, I won't shower. That doesn't mean it's a sin. I'm just saying that's a volitional decision. I will wear the white shirt. I will wear the brown shirt. You made a decision. You, you, you committed an action based on a desire that came from an impulse that started with a thought. Thus, we are victims of our decisions, not our environment. We are victims of our decisions, not our environment. hope you're listening, because this is not what you will hear in the world today. You will hear about the poor people that are victims to their environment. You may have grown up in a bad environment as I did. That doesn't give either one of us an excuse to be a jerk. We are not victims of our environment. I can guarantee you that bad people come from good environments and good people come from bad environments because the thing that determines whether you're going to be good or bad is your volition. Your volition, the chooser inside of you. And the first thing you must choose is to believe in Jesus Christ. That's the single most significant decision that you can ever make in your life. But you will start out as a child choosing to orient to authority or not orient to authority. Your parents may or may not train you in what we call norms and standards. They may or may not give you good norms and standards. Those things that guide you through your life like hygiene, privacy, property, spiritual values. Those norms and standards are housed in your conscience, and they are there to protect you so that you don't destroy yourself. So your volition will determine your actions. But the one thing that can override that volition is your arrogance, your very own arrogance. Arrogance becomes a mindset. And then when you make a decision in arrogance, it's usually based on self-justification. When I got saved, when I accepted Christ, I, I learned about sin, and I was moving right along. Then I learned about evil, maybe two, three, four years later. And I said, uh-oh, I, I, now I see that all evil is sin, but all sin may not uh, all, all sin is evil, but all evil may not be sin. Let me say that again. All sin is evil, but all evil may not be sin. Did I confuse you? Listen, God's plan is called grace. And grace, the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works. But that's not what evil says. Evil will twist it. And evil will say, for by grace are you saved through faith, plus, and then it'll add something. You see, evil is the genius of Satan, and grace is the genius of God. Evil is a counterfeiter, and it counterfeits God's plan. 
And so an evil politician may say, if you elect me as your whatever, I will assure you that every person will get a chicken in their pot and every person will have a fair shake. And and listen, Jesus said, we're always going to have the poor with us. You could give everybody in America a million dollars today, and and that, that would have probably been the best deal to do. That way we could all equal it out in the long run, but in a, just a, a matter of just a few short weeks, a few people wouldn't have that million dollars anymore. It's not a matter of what people have or don't have. It's a matter of what they think. And that's where you have to understand arrogance. Self-justification is an arrogant trend that allows you to make decisions based on your lust patterns, the things that you desire. That arrogance that emanates from the sin nature is our biggest enemy because it gives us an unrealistic view of ourself, which in turn leads to unrealistic expectations about how other people should treat us. You know, when we are going into momentum testing to see if we're going to keep growing, to see if we're going to keep accelerating from zero to 100, when we're going into that, that momentum testing, we have to avoid the trap of arrogance. Listen to James. James 4, 6, God makes war against the arrogant, but he gives grace to the humble. And if you add to that verse, 1 Peter 5, 6, You will hear this, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you in due time. You will never pass momentum testing without humility. Arrogance will defeat you every time. The opposite of arrogance is humility. Listen to Psalms 25, 8 and 9. The Lord is good and decent. And that's why he teaches sinners the way they should live. And he leads humble people to do what is right. And he teaches them his way. Humble people. The danger with arrogance in the believer's life is that it motivates him to strive for success inordinately. In other words, to compete with his friends. To use people for his own advantage. To control people for his own desires to accept the approbation of people as an indication that that he's a great person. You see, this sort of arrogant desire for recognition and this arrogant desire for success would destroy any chance of you or me ever finding our personal sense of destiny or ever reaching spiritual maturity in our life. You know why? Because you cannot teach an arrogant person anything. You may have feelings for someone right now. You may have a desire to help someone, to guide someone, to lead someone. It may even be your own children or grandchildren. But if they're arrogant, if they have an unrealistic self-image, they have unrealistic expectations. If they act compulsively on self-justification, it always leads to self-deception and eventually self-destruction. You cannot teach an arrogant person anything Only humility is teachable. Proverbs 11.2 says, Arrogance comes, and then comes shame. But wisdom remains with humble people. Listen to Proverbs 29.23. A person's pride 
will humiliate him, but a humble spirit gains honor. You might be asking yourself, what, what exactly, Rick, what exactly is humility? Well, a short, simple definition, it's freedom from pride and arrogance. It requires orientation to authority as well as objective thinking, not being subjective, but objective. You see, humility is not by any means humiliation. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is a virtue of being free from arrogance. And while humiliation, just the opposite, would be to reduce you to a lower status in your eyes or the eyes of someone else that seeks to humiliate you. But humility in Webster Dictionary, that's not the humility we're talking about referred to in the Word of God. What we're talking about is simple recognition of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and you submitting to that authority. Thus, the dependence on your own human power, your ability, that's reduced to zero in biblical humility. And you are under the dependence of God's power and God's ability. That is increased to the max. The Greek word for humility is pronounced tapai no'o. Tapai no'o. It means to become humble. But it's not you degrading yourself as organized religion requires. It's simply you being objective and you being teachable and evaluating your life in the light of what God's Word teaches. That's all it is. That's true and genuine humility. Not you denying yourself through some form of asceticism, walking around with your eyes cast down to the ground all the time and never looking up and always having a frown on your face and only having one suit of clothes and driving an old car and and everybody says, that's such a humble person. That's not humility. That's humiliation. Humility is simply you orienting to the grace plan of God. And you will never reach spiritual maturity till you understand that. One of the problems that Moses had, and the Bible says he was the most humble man that ever lived, was that his second appearance at the Rock of Meribah, he struck the rock instead of doing exactly what God told him to do. And this cost him a trip into the Holy Land. You can read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 3. He didn't get away with that. One of Paul's problems was the same thing when God told him, don't go back to Jerusalem. They'll put you in chains. And, and Paul went back anyhow instead of heading west to Spain and in that direction. He wound up in chains. Listen, it's very easy to get out of objective thinking and to become subjective and to let your arrogance take over and begin to have an unrealistic self-image about who you are and what you should do. That's all I'm saying. You want to pass momentum testing? Understand what humility is. It is required before you ever reach spiritual maturity. Until next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for being with me on The Flatline. Thank you for listening to The Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, 
please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.